Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's look to the Lord. Father, now we come to you. We're all here assembled, wanting to learn from our God. So teach us, Lord, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 42, verse 6. 42, verse 6. Joseph was the governor over the land. He it was that sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brethren came, bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brethren. He knew them, but made himself strange unto them, spake roughly unto them, said unto them, Whence came ye? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. They said unto him, nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. He said unto them, nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. They said, thy servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether they be any truth in them. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. He put them all together into war three days. Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. But go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified. You shall not die. So they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto thee, saying, Do not sin against the child? You would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Okay, now, this is a chapter of the ten brothers of Jacob coming from Canaan to Egypt to buy corn. Like it says in verse 3 there, these ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. I mean, the famine has been going on now for some time, and the family is trying to hold out and hold out, hold out, and not to go down to to Egypt to buy corn. But finally, they just couldn't hold out any longer, and so they're at the point of dying. And so now the ten brothers finally are coming down to Egypt where Joseph was. They didn't know that Joseph was in Egypt. They were forced to go to Egypt because of the trouble of famine. And Egypt was a long way away from their home in Canaan, but finally they came. And that's a picture for us of the Jewish people represented by these 10 brothers here, and it illustrates for us what we're seeing now today. 
I mean, today, the Jewish people are scattered over all the world, and they're far from Israel, just like the brothers were far from Egypt. But the troubles have driven and are driving the Jewish people to come to Israel, like the trouble of the famine drove the ten brothers to come down to Egypt. So the troubles of the German Nazis or the troubles of Russian persecutions, or the French Islamist troubles, and the growing worldwide anti-Semitism. Those are all troubles that have and, and are driving the Jewish people to go far away into Israel. And this is like the first trip that the brothers have made down into Egypt. See, during this first trip, the brothers made that down, that they, when they came into Egypt, they didn't know that they were encountering Joseph. So the Jewish people today, they don't know that they're being drawn to Israel by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this history that we're seeing here of the 10 brothers is going to be a history, which we're starting out now, but it's gonna be one of increasing troubles, which will culminate in their second trip to Egypt, which is the point that Stephen was making in his last words as he's being martyred in Acts chapter seven, verse 12, Acts seven twelve. When he said, Stephen said, but when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. So it's gonna be at the height of these troubles when they will, the brothers will be accused of stealing a golden cup that Joseph is going to reveal himself to us. And this is the picture of the great trouble that's gonna come to the Jewish people in Israel when all the nations are gonna be gathered together against them to destroy them and will destroy two-thirds of them and then the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna be revealed to them as he fights for them and attacks those nations who are attacking them. Now, what we've seen so far, we saw how Joseph has put a lot of pressure on his brothers. He accuses them multiple times of being spies with the penalty, of course, of death. And then he puts them in prison for three days. And it's only after they spent those three days in prison that they openly confess that they're guilty. And it was after this, in other words, you can almost picture them in those three days in prison, they're not just sitting down there playing cards. I mean, I mean they're struggling. And they emerge out of prison with a real changed heart. It's just like Jonah. I mean, Jonah, he spent three days in a struggle in the belly of the fish until he emerged, or was vomited out, with a changed heart. And so we saw how Joseph then had compassion on his brothers and how he really wanted to lead his brothers to repentance. He wanted to lead them away from their rebellion against God. He wanted to lead them to a reconciliation with God. And so he tells his brothers in verse 18, Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live. And then he says, for I fear God. Now, he knew, he saw that his brothers were afraid of him and that they needed to be afraid of God. So to guide his brothers away from the fear of man and to God, he says to them, I fear God. He says this because he doesn't want them to be trapped by the fear of man, because that's how it's described in Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Now, it's so strange for Joseph now to say, I fear God. And it leads us to a question. 
What did he have in mind when there he was appearing to be an Egyptian and he says, I fear God. I mean, Egyptians don't fear God. So what was Joseph's intention when he said, I fear God? I mean, Joseph has said to his brother, I fear God. And he's really trying to help him. I mean, he's really, what he's doing here is he's turning a cheek of love to his brothers who hated him when he said, I fear God. He knows his brothers are afraid of him. He knows his brothers are not right with God. He knows that the only way for his brothers to get right with God is if his brothers go to God. So Joseph has put together this great plan. It's a great plan here to get his brothers to go to God and talk to God. And this is Joseph's I fear God plan. (laughs) And to see how this plan worked, we need to picture a situation. Now, let's just say that Gene has gone into a store to exchange a dress. And she bought the dress there. And let's just say that Irene (laughs) is the sales clerk. And let's just say that Jim, who just come in, is the store manager. So here comes Jean, and she comes up to Irene, and she says, excuse me, because Jean's nice, that's what she says. She says, excuse me, I would like to exchange this dress that I bought here, and here's my receipt. So that's what Jean says, right? And Irene gets really tough on Jean, and with a mean voice, which of course you would never would do, but never mind. With a mean voice, Irene says to Jean, that dress looks like it's over a year old. We don't even sell dresses like that. And that looks like a forged receipt, you know. And I don't think you bought that dress here, and I don't think that's one of our receipts. And now, Irene goes on and says, if you want me to exchange that dress, you bring me three witnesses to testify that you bought that dress here. Now, at this point, Jean is really frustrated, and she doesn't know what to do, because Irene is totally unreasonable, and she's mean. (laughs) And then Irene sees all this right now, and right out of the blue, Irene just offers up this statement where she says, my manager is Jim McDonald, and I answer to him, okay? Now, what would Jean say when she hears Irene say, right out of the blue, my manager is Jim McDonald, and I answer to him? What, what do you think Jean would say? Yeah, that's right. She'd say, I want to speak with Jim McDonald and explain my situation to him. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And if Irene really wanted to direct Gene to speak with Jim, that's the perfect way to do it. That's the perfect way. Just by being mean, you know, to Gene and then saying to Gene, I answer to Jim. And that's exactly what's happening here with Joseph. See, in his great love for his brothers, Joseph's plan is to give his brothers a really hard time, which is what he's doing, by being really mean and really uncooperative with his brothers. And then all of a sudden, volunteering right out of the blue, I fear God. So he's telling his brothers, my boss is God, I answer to him. And in that way, the brothers knew that if they had a a stubborn, mean Joseph, who they didn't know was Joseph, in front of them, who was threatening to kill them, that they had to go over his head to God. Isn't that precious? 
Isn't that precious what Joseph is doing here? I mean, he's turning this cheek of love to his brothers. He's seeking to direct them to God and to get them right with God. And it's a perfect example. Joseph here is a perfect example of what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do with your enemies. In Matthew 5.44, Matthew 5.44, when he said, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What are you going to pray for your enemies? You're going to pray that they go to God. You're going to pray they get right with God. There's no greater blessing than God himself can give. So under all this pressure, we finished our study last week by seeing the brothers making an amazing admission between themselves in verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brothers. Now that's like a dawn you know, in a dark night, that's a dawn of admission in a long night of denial. And as I said this to each other, that they were guilty, we saw that at last the brothers are starting to realize they are guilty. And this admission of guilt here is the beginning of repentance. Because when there's an admission of guilt, there's something to work with to bring a person to repentance and trust in the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, many adults, they're just not willing to admit their guilt. And they justify their actions by, it really wasn't my fault, and, and it's not that bad because it's no worse than everybody else. But there's no admission of guilt there. And there's got to be an admission of guilt before there can be salvation. And this is what makes verse 21 so remarkable It's the only open acknowledgement of guilt in the whole book of Genesis. And and it was important because it shows that the beginning of repentance for these brothers is an open acknowledgement of guilt. It's the beginning. It's the first step. It's the first step that the penitent thief on the cross took when he said in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, he said he talked about himself and the others other thief, and he said, We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And now notice the transition. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That thief pronounced first a judgment on himself which is what the brothers did when they said in verse 21, we are verily guilty. And that's what confession is. It's a self-pronounced judgment. And they didn't blame anyone else. You know, like my boys one time when they were little and I caught little Joshua doing something wrong and he said to me, Joseph told me to do it. (laughs) And that thief, like these brothers, they made an open acknowledgement of their guilt. And that thief, he says, we receive the due reward of our deeds. That's a first big step. That's a big step, which had to be taken before he could be saved. He had to say that before he could say to the Lord in Luke 23, 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Because he took that first step of an open acknowledgement of his guilt, then the Lord saved him. In uh, Luke 23, 43, when he said, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's an, in contrast to the other thief, the other thief who never openly acknowledged his guilt when he said, 
in Luke 23, 39, Luke 23, 39, one of the malefactors which hanged on him, railed, uh, which hanged, railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. See, when, that, when he said that, save thyself and us, he was saying, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be crucified as a criminal, and you should save me from being killed as a criminal. But with an open acknowledgement of sin, that's a path to salvation. Now we've got a path to salvation. Without an open acknowledgement of sin, there's no road to salvation. There's no road to salvation. It reminds me of the two little sisters that came into the child evangelism booth at the Del Mar Fair last Thursday. And there was a little girl, Naomi, and uh, I don't know, they both had the same t-shirt on. It said, I am the big sister. <laughs> I don't know why they both had that, but there was one that was littler. There was Naomi. She was about three years old. And she sat over here in the front row. And then there was the other one, Anna. And she was four years old, and she sat next to her. And they both were sitting there in the front row in front of me. So I started asking little three-year-old Naomi if she ever lied before. And she looked at me with that look that she says, oh, I know that it's wrong to lie. So she said, no. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, she's not ready to be saved yet. <laughs> because she didn't take that first step of admitting her guilt. And then I turned to little Anna, little four-year-old Anna. I said, well, how about you, Anna? I said, have you ever lied? She didn't say a word. She just got kind of this strange smile on her face. And she took her one finger and she went like this. <laughs> I said, you mean you lied once? <laughs> she gives a resonant nod. And I thought, okay, Anna's ready to be saved. She's ready to come to the Savior because she has admitted that she lied once. And so when I came to lead Anna to the Lord in the sinner's prayer, I led her to pray, Lord, please forgive me for that one lie that I told. And I said, and for many other bad things I did. So Anna could go down the road to salvation because she was admitting her guilt. And that's what's so significant about verse 21, when the brother says, we are verily guilty concerning our brothers. So the confession of sin, it has to involve also the willfulness where a person says that he personally made a decision to sin. You know, not Joseph told me to do it. And, and, and there's one word in verse 21 from what they said that shows this personal willfulness. What's the one word in verse 21 that the brothers said that expressed their personal decision to sin against Joseph? What is it? It's something that expresses personal will. What's the next time they said we? Would. <laughs> they said would. They said would. They would not hear. Would comes from the word will. And sin is a decision. And it's a bad choice. It's a bad will. So when they said we would not hear, that was a confession of a bad decision, of a wrong decision. It was a bad choice. They were saying, I chose a bad sin. So, so far, what we've seen from verse 21 is that sin involves four things. First, there's an open confession of sin. They said one to another. Second, there's a self-pronouncement of guilt. We are verily guilty. Third, there's a clear description of what they're guilty of, of what the sin was. 
concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And fourth, there's a clear statement of their own free will that chose to sin. We would not hear. But there's a fifth part. There's a fifth part of repentance, and that's seen in the two therefore statements of verse 21 and verse 22. See, verse 21 says, therefore is this distress come upon us. And in verse 22, we read, therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Now, what this is showing us is that repentance involves a recognition of what sin deserves, of what sin deserves. When a sinner repents, He's filled with a sense of what he deserves. And these are the five parts of true repentance. For a complete repentance, full repentance, there's got to be an open confession of sin. There's got to be a self-pronouncement of guilt. There's got to be a clear description of exactly what the sin was. There's got to be a clear statement of the free will that was involved, that chose to sin. And there's got to be a recognition of what sin deserves. And we've got that all laid out for us here in these verses. And there's one more thing. Repentance deeply touches the soul. It's not a light thing. It's deep. And you can see this. I mean, just think of these brothers. I mean, how carefully they covered their tracks. I mean, they doctored up Joseph's coat with the blood and so forth. And to deceive, they, with this fabricated story of the wild beast that killed Joseph. And for 23 years, Not one of them has ever talked about Joseph or going down to Egypt. But now repentance has so deeply been an earthquake inside of their soul that they're talking about how guilty they are and not even conscious that other people around them might hear or what they might think. I mean, after all, how about that interpreter? He understood Hebrew. And repentance deeply touched them to the point that they could not suppress their self-accusation. I mean, when you look at this, for a group of seasoned con men, which is what they were, they're sure doing a bad job here, right? I mean, they weren't even thinking that all the governor has to do is turn to the interpreter and say, what are they saying? And the interpreter would say, they're saying that they are verily guilty. That's not a good idea, (laughs) That's not a good statement to stay in front of a ruler who's accusing you of being spies and threatening to kill you. You don't want to say we are verily guilty. And so, but here they are. They're saying to each other that they are guilty and they're talking about the details of why they're guilty. In verse 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Now, as they're talking, we read here that uh, they knew not, in verse 23, they knew not that Joseph understood them for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So as they're talking among themselves about how they're guilty and they're talking about all the details of what they're guilty of, they have no idea. No idea that Joseph is able to hear and is hearing every word they're saying. They don't know that Joseph can understand them. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.